and welcome to this week's episode of the Relatable Mama podcast presented by Anchor Behavioral Consulting. I'm your podcast host, Anna Richardella, and I am a mom of two boys, two and under, a wife, board-certified behavior analyst, and the owner of Anchor Behavioral Consulting. It is my passion to help other parents feel supported and seen, and I hope that by listening to this podcast, you are able to learn something new or just feel like you're not alone. Let's get into this week's episode. This episode was recorded during one of our parent-child classes and was recorded in a park, so there may be some background noise and a little bit of interference, but we hope you enjoy. Thank you. All right. Should we get started? I'll introduce myself. I'll tell you a little bit about my background. So my name is Victoria Benediano. I'm a licensed speech-language pathologist. Um, I have a background in all different settings and locations. I went to undergrad at Penn State. I did my grad school program at NYU. And for my clinical externship, which really got me into pediatric feeding, I was at Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital in New Brunswick, where I was doing inpatient and outpatient pediatric feeding, including the NICU. So that was a great experience that really uh, sparked my interest for pediatric feeding. And then since grad school, I've been in a few different locations. I started in the schools. I was in general education schools, special education schools for a few years. And now I'm at the Sunny Day Sunshine Center, so the outpatient center. I do pediatric speech and feeding. But my special interest is in pediatric feeding. All right, so today we're going to go through... A lot of information, as you can see. <laughs> We're sort of going to go from, like, birth to toddlerhood. So I'm going to be talking and discussing on a bunch of different topics. I really want this to be conversational as we go through. Feel free to shout out any questions, comments, anything like that. Um, we're going to be covering infancy, the transition into solids. I have some utensil recommendations, cups, positioning, high chair, first foods to introduce, how to introduce. And then we're going to get sort of into a little bit of that toddlerhood with the fussy eating, picky eating habits, ways to prevent those sorts of things. And then also, if you're doing all these things, what are some signs that you need some extra help? When should you go get a feeding evaluation if you feel that your child needs one? All right, so before we get started, I really just want everybody to introduce themselves again. Let me know the age of your baby and like where you are currently in terms of feeding. Are you breastfeeding, bottle feeding? Have you transitioned to solids? Are you thinking about transitioning to solids? So my name is Anna Richardella. I'm the owner of Anchor Behavioral Consulting. I have a crew with me. He is <laughs> six months old. He is primarily breastfed when he's home with me and then he's bottle fed when he goes to daycare. We have started the transition to solids. He screams at us if he is in his high chair and does not have food in front of him. So I'm really excited to hear more Mm -hmm. about what we can do to help him. And then I also have a toddler who is definitely going through a little bit more of a selective eating phase. Okay. I'm Caitlin. I have Chase with me. He's almost three months. He is breastfed, occasional bottle. And I also have a toddler at home. She's almost three and has kind of phased out of her picky eating. She's doing a little better. But she was full in the trenches of picky eating. (laughs) All right. I'm Dana. I'm a BCBA. I don't have any children, (laughs) but I have kids on my caseload or previous kids who've had feeding challenges, um, you know, pacifier for long periods of times, not using correct 
cupware, utensils, and all that good stuff. So I'm excited to learn. All right, awesome. All right, let's get started. So we're really starting at, at the very, very beginning. So we're gonna start with um, pacifiers. So typically, full-term, healthy babies um, that are starting breastfeeding, a lot of lactation consultants recommend waiting about three to four weeks to introduce a pacifier just to really get baby into um, established with their breastfeeding routine. We don't wanna confuse baby by giving a pacifier just because the suck pattern for a pacifier versus breast is just a little bit different. So we really like to get a nice establishment going with breastfeeding before introducing that passy, usually around that three to four week mark. Full-term healthy babies who are bottle fed can be introduced right away because the pacifier more is very much more similar to a bottle nipple. Um, pacifier recommendations, I really like to use like soft, all in one piece, silicone, cylinder shape. I see that one right there <laughs> that I have right on here. My favorite one to recommend to families, the um, Avent, the uh, Soothe, which is, it's a great one. This one promotes and develops the muscles needed for feeding skill, for speech skill. Since it is that cylinder shapes, it promotes the tongue rounding, lip rounding, all that good stuff that we need for those pre-feeding skills and for pre-speech skills. Now the hard part, weaning the pacifier. So we typically recommend trying to wean at about that six month mark. Um, just because there's some risk factors included with having a baby on the PASI, much past that time, there's an actually an increased risk of ear infection with continued oh, pacifier use after that. six months, um, just because of the way baby's sucking, um, just increased risk of getting some ear infections. At this point, pacifier can start to impact the palate formation, the way the face is growing, and it could even lead to that open mouth breathing. A lot of times kids that are on their passies for a long period of time, you see that their mouths are open, their tongue is kind of hanging out low and flat, they're open mouth breathing, and that just makes it harder to really promote that oral motor development for pre-feeding and pre-speech skills. And so how to wean. Around that six month mark, we really try to use the pacifier for bedtime only. A lot of families like to use what they call like the passy house during the day where baby wakes up, it's time to put our pacifier in the passy house and it stays there all day. It's in the child's room, the child can see it, but try and after they put it in the passy house, make it like a fun little routine. I know families have made beds for them before, put little blankets in there, pillows, like, oh, we're, we're awake, but our passy needs to go back to sleep. They're still tired. Trying to get that passy in the box away and then quickly move the child out of the room, hope for out of sight, out of mind. Um, try and really occupy the baby with something else. Offer a feed right away, whether it's a bottle or a solid. Um, offer some toys, something else for them to do with their hands. Offer a teether or a chewy, something else that they can put in their mouth. Give them a, a straw cup, something for them to use on their lips. Just really trying to just divert their attention away from the pacifier. Um, and then you want to create a consistent bedtime routine as the child starts to get closer to that 12-month mark when we really want to cut that passy. Um, create a consistent bedtime routine when you are giving your baby their last bottle, you can offer the pacifier after, cuddle, offer a blanket or a lovey, and then remove the passy before putting baby in the crib. When, once your child is over 12 months, they can go into the crib with a lovey, um, 
So we're going to try and move that pacifier away and teach them that their comfort is going to come from you as their parent. The comfort's going to come from you before bedtime routine, and then they can also bring their lovey with them. If you're putting your child down and they're screaming and they're not having it, do the whole bedtime routine again. Take the child out, sit on your lap, read a book, but try and do that without the pacifier present and then put baby back into bed. All right, any questions about passies, weaning? I don't have a question, but I know that we did do, uh, we do kind of the passy house mm -hmm. concept actually with my son's lovey, which had a pacifier on it at one point. He really didn't take pacifiers for long, mm -hmm. but he just got attached to the giraffe. And so we use that concept as well. And it's perfect awesome. for helping to wean away from that mm -hmm. and not rely on it all okay. day. Great. My all older, we did mm -hmm. cold turkey kind uh -huh. of with her. Binky, we did um, the Binky Fairy came. Oh, the and Binky Fairy. We buried uh -huh. the Binkies in the backyard, <laughs> and then she got um, Annie's gummies That's so cute. as a treat. <laughs> now, I see a lot on, like, social uh -huh. media, I guess, of parents cutting the passy and putting holes in it. Do you recommend doing that? I don't recommend okay. that. I find that to be unsafe if baby starts to chew and little pieces come off. That is a choking hazard, a swallowing okay. hazard. I do not recommend cutting a pacifier yeah we tried that too actually yeah. it's so funny you say that but it mm -hmm. didn't work she freaked out so mm -hmm. i was like i think it's better to yeah. get rid of it and, yeah. and then you can't she you can't suck right. properly on it it's not right. what they were used to and it's all around a safety hazard i would not recommend okay cutting a pacifier okay. good to know that was a good question <laughs> all right so next up the bottle bottle weaning so it's really recommended to start transitioning off the bottle at around 12 months. So to help with this transition, we really wanna introduce other types of cups when your child is starting to start solids around that six month age. So it's gonna take a few months to wean off the bottle completely, but we want to start that transition to other cups as early as possible, getting them used to straw cups, getting them used to open cups, because those ones really promote that mature older oral motor skill, that motor development, and also the bottle can pose a risk factor for, again, child's facial growth, palate formation, teeth, all of those sorts of things. So we really want to work on transitioning that bottle starting around 12 months. So how do you know that your baby is ready for solids? Typically, our kids are ready for solids at around that six-month age, but again, every child is different. So rather than just giving a blanket recommendation of month, we really want to look for some prerequisite skills. Uh, so has first off, has your pediatrician given you the go-ahead to start solids? If so, is your child able to push up on their palms during tummy time? We really want to see some core strength going on before we start offering solids to our kiddos. Does your little one have good head and neck strength? So are they able to really sit up with minimal assistance on the floor? And does your little one bring teethers and toys to their mouth? Are they interested in bringing things to their mouth? And does your child watch you eat with interest? Are they showing some interest in food? So if you have yes to all those, all those questions, then we have those prerequisite skills. We're ready to start solids. Your child may not sit unsupported on the floor for 10, 15 minutes at a time, but as long as they are in a high chair and can sit up straight and they have good head and neck control and they're not flopping all over, their neck is not going towards one side, if they can really hold, hold their own and sit up nice and posturally straight in a high chair, um, then we're ready. So I know when Crew was four months old, mm -hmm. our pediatrician recommended that we should start solids in the form of purees. Mm -hmm. um, 
I personally was not comfortable with that. We did baby led weaning with our mm-hmm. older son and we were very successful with that. We kind of tried it out to see. He mm-hmm. did have a lot of the prerequisite skills, okay. but I would say the number one thing that he didn't have was interest at that okay. time in eating. And so we had offered a little bit of purees and I think I did it twice before I decided that he just wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know why pediatricians are still recommending that four-month time frame? Sometimes they recommend if if your child is steadily increasing how much breast or formula that they are consuming. Um, if your child, if the pediatrician feels like your child may be looking for something else rather than the breast in the bottle, if they're showing signs of hunger throughout the day, even when you're offering all the bottles. Um, so that could be a reason. Was it? Did you mention anything during the appointment about concerns with the bottle or the breastfeeding that brought up the conversation? <laughs> no, I would okay. say the doctor's probably reasoning in my case is that I have small babies. So okay. they're okay. always looking for my kids to have a little bit more calories during mm-hmm. the day. And I would say that that would mm-hmm. be the biggest concern okay. on their end. It's mm-hmm. not a concern on mm-hmm. my end because I know it's genetic. And, and people are also steering clear of putting like infant cereal and things in bottles yeah. these days. Like that is not considered something that we really do much anymore. So that could also be a reason that they recommended puree, going the puree route rather than in the past, people used to put baby cereal and things in rice to try and fill up their baby more, have them grow more. So that could have been a recommendation that he tried to get you to go the puree route to gain weight rather than putting something else in the bottle. But if you know your baby best, if he wasn't ready, he wasn't ready. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. So what foods do we start with when we think about this transition to solid? You can offer purees, you can offer the baby cereal, and that's not always necessary. Like we just mentioned before, baby led weaning is a big topic that has really taken by storm and a lot of parents are choosing to go that route. So we have baby led weaning versus spoon feeding. Some parents do combo feeding. Uh, For spoon feeding, usually it's baby rice cereal or other baby foods purees that you can mix with breast milk or formula just to get that familiar taste in there, but that is not always necessary. Um, We're going to switch to our next little packet. It's methods of introducing solids. So this is actually a free resource from Solid Starts. I love Solid Solid Starts. Solid Starts is amazing. They have an amazing Instagram page. I highly, highly recommend following them. And also they have an amazing website. They have so many free resources for parents for transitioning to solids, restrictive eating, everything of that nature. And they also have courses that you can purchase if you feel that you need a little bit of extra help. So this is one of the free resources on the Solid Starts website. The methods of introducing solids. We're not going to go through every single page of these packets. I really wanted just to provide you with an overview of information. We're going to look through. If we have any questions, then let's let's discuss. So we have baby lead weaning. So baby lead weaning. This approach skips the purees and, and parent spoon feeding baby. And we're going straight into letting babies feed themselves with their fingers from the first bite. Uh, also part of baby lead weaning is offering loaded utensils. So I know some people's concerns about baby lead weaning is like, well, how will my child learn how to how to use utensils and things like that? Like we can introduce utensils as well when we are doing baby lead weaning. So we're really looking um, for the pros of baby lead weaning, 
lot of independence. Your baby is really learning to eat independently. They are in total control of what they pick up and what they bring to their mouth. And it's really great for their development. They're practicing gross, fine, and oral motor skills. Also for you, you're not buying jars and jars of baby food. Most of the time with whatever you are eating, you can modify ingredients that you have in your house. You can modify what you are cooking for breakfast, lunch, or dinner to offer very similar foods to your child. Spoon feeding. This is more of the traditional approach to feeding babies, probably how we were all first introduced to solids when we were babies. Uh, the parent's in control. The parent is holding the spoon. The parent is bringing the spoon to the child's mouth and the child is eating typically purees or mashed foods. Um, babies who do go this typical spoon feeding route, some parents are just more comfortable with this. It can feel a little daunting and a little terrifying to give your six month old child a, fi a finger food for them or a handheld food to pick up and bring to their mouth. So some people opt for this spoon feeding route. We recommend if you go the spoon feeding route to give your child some opportunities to be eating with their hands around that nine month mark if you're gonna go with the typical spoon feeding route. Um, pros of spoon feeding, nice and clean and tidy. You're in control of the feeding. Me mess is minimal, less time consuming. Um, if you are not eating the exact same time as your child, you're not cooking all day long, trying to figure out what to give them, you can just go ahead and grab one of those pureed jars. Um, also, less waste. A lot of the pureed food will end up going into your baby's mouth because you are in control of what's going in there. Sometimes with baby led weaning, when kids have total control, it's very messy. A lot of the times things end up on the floor or in your pet's mouth. And so sometimes we do see some food waste. Um, some cons of spoon feeding is that the baby's relying on you to eat. They're not learning all of those skills to really explore foods on their own, bring things to their mouth and really learn on their own. And for oral motor development and just oral sensory awareness, purees or mashed foods, it's pretty much just one texture that the baby is being introduced to. With baby love weaning, we can really offer a variety of different textures at that, at that age of six months. And then combo feeding. So as it sounds, combo feeding is a combination of spoon feeding and self-feeding with finger foods. Um, but again, if you're using exclusive spoon feeding, we should really give baby the opportunity to start self-feeding at around that nine-month nine mark. Um, so the pros of combo feeding, again, are just the pros of both those baby-led weaning and spoon feeding approaches. I'm curious how, so you did baby-led weaning yes. with uh, your older. Right. And you're thinking of baby-led weaning. We have started baby-led weaning, okay, yes. And we definitely, I would say with my older son, we definitely see so many of the pros of, you know, he does not have a difficult time with his gag reflex. He definitely has less sensory challenges than I see in other kids his age that I know were um, spoon-fed. Mm -hmm. And initially, I would say he was much more accepting of trying all different mm -hmm. things. We were always amazed by all of the different things mm -hmm. that he would try and that he enjoyed until he turned one. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and what was your experience with your older child? We did baby leg weaning okay. also. Um, she did really great with it. We never did any kind of spoon feeding or okay. purees at all with her um everybody like any older family members were mm -hmm. amazed, like her eating a chicken finger yes. and stuff at, like six months old they freak mm -hmm. out um but she did really good with it same Great. thing knock on wood she mm -hmm. never had any like gagging issues mm -hmm. choking she 
she really did well with it and same thing right about a year old was when she started to get like a little picky I'd say like a year to a year and a half Mm -hmm. she was like prime picky and now she knows what she likes and doesn't like but is open to trying things she'll try it and say I don't like it and Mm -hmm. we'll offer it again in like another like few days or weeks for her to try again sometimes it works sometimes Mm -hmm. it doesn't (laughs) Yes, I have a 16-month-old niece, and so my sister did baby lead weaning with her, and my parents were like, you're giving her that? Like, that's what babies eat these days? They were just so confused. They were like, I can't, my mom was like, I need to turn around. I can't watch. I can't watch when we're giving her foods that she can really pick up and feed herself, but there really is so many pros, and we always have to remember that baby has reflexes for gagging, and they are going to work hard on protecting that airway. And so we just always have to remember that this there is research backed against this baby lead weaning. It is there's so many pros to it. I think also a common misconception with baby lead weaning is that they might be at a greater risk of choking. Mm-hmm. And at least from my own research, there is the same exact risk whether mm-hmm. you use spoon feeding or baby lead weaning. Um, and that's something that I think the mm-hmm. older generation harps on a lot mm-hmm. because uh, we just had my parents here this past week and they are wonderful and mm-hmm. they are just so amazed by mm-hmm. how those reflexes kick in mm-hmm. so young. And then we're going to talk about food shapes and sizes because I know that's a big thing with baby loving. You're yes. like, how are you just going to hand child the food? But we are going to make sure that the shape and the size is safe for the child and that the foods that we are offering are big enough that the child is not just going to be able to shove the whole food in their mouth and swallow it. All right, so first foods with our baby led weaning. We want to offer foods that are not too slippery in texture that your baby can grab with their whole hand to bring to their mouth. We really want to be conscious of those chubby little fingers. They really got to be able to pick it up, grab it, and bring to their mouth. If something is too slippery and it's just going to slip out of their hands, they're going to get frustrated. And we want mealtime to always be a positive experience. We want to reduce as much frustration as we can. You want the food to be at least finger-sized, typically around this length, so that baby cannot put the whole piece into their mouth. And we want to make sure that we're cutting things into strips. Um, If something is long and flat, we can cut it into more rectangular pieces, large enough that the baby can hold it, bring it to their mouth, and start gnawing and chewing little pieces off without necessarily being able to put the whole thing into their mouth. So we want to choose foods that are easy to eat or suck on. So generally, the food should be soft enough that you can squish it in between your fingers. Except for meat. Meat is a little bit more chewy, but we may not fully expect a child to chew and swallow the meat. They may suck on it, taste it, move it around their mouth. So just some ideas of foods. Roasted sweet potato wedges, roasted apple wedges. We recommend keeping the skin on because that helps them hold it much better. Roasted or steamed broccoli, big enough pieces for the baby to hold, not too small that they can fit the whole thing into their mouth. Melon slices, thick mango slices, banana with some of the peel still on to help them hold it. You can cut toast into strips, mash some avocado on there. Avocado spears, make sure that the avocado is ripe and soft, that if it was between your fingers, you would be able to squish it lamb or beef on the bone large piece for baby to stuck on suck on dark meat chicken again you can serve on the bone if it is large enough or 
you can take a large piece off that your baby is able to hold and suck on again for these foods not small enough for the baby to be able to put the whole thing into their mouth um, try to eat with your child as much as possible again you are always going to be their best model when it comes to eating and babies are also particularly interested in eating what you are eating so if you're eating the same thing that your child is eating they are more likely to learn from you and to want to try so for things like bananas or avocados that you're gonna cut into spears that could be hard for the child to pick up, what you can do is you can um, <coughs> crush Cheerios, grind up peanuts, and roll the food into it. That way it has more of a texture on the outside that's easier for the child to hold. So things that we want to avoid, we want to avoid anything hard, sticky, or super crunchy, like a raw apple, a raw carrot. We at this point, baby's not going to be consuming those types of foods. We want don't want to serve whole nuts. Those are a choking hazard. We don't want to serve anything that's small and round, like a whole grape or a whole blueberry. Things that are really in that small, round shape. Those are a choking hazard. Um, really hard and crunchy crackers and not big spoonfuls of those allergens or butters or not butters yet. Cow's milk should not be introduced until around that 12 month mark. Milk can be introduced after 12 months. Common misconception is that the baby cannot have dairy at all before 12 months. It's really just that cow's milk. Yogurt is okay, cheese is okay. We're just not gonna offer cow's milk to drink until after that 12 month mark. Try to avoid foods that have any added salt or sugar, simply just because they, they don't need it. Um, honey, honey can be introduced after 12 months as well. So we're not gonna offer honey to a child under 12 months. And that is cooked or raw. Yes, no honey. Matter. <laughs> no honey. Uh, and then we also want to avoid super slippery foods. Like we said, that would be hard for the baby to hold. That would be frustrating, like we talked about. You can offer another texture, something that you can really grind up small, sort of like a powder-like texture. You can roll banana in it, you can roll an avocado spear in it, and it just makes it easier for the baby to hold. They'll be less frustrated. And again, no small round foods that are choking hazards like whole grapes, whole blueberries. If you're going to serve these things, we always recommend quartering. And remember that gagging is not the same as choking. Gagging is okay. It is a very typical and normal response for babies who are transitioning to solids to be gagging. Um, First, if baby is gagging, that means they are doing the right thing so that that food is not going down their airway. So babies have a natural instinct. They will gag if something is going too far back and that is them learning how far can the food go back? When am I ready to swallow the food? Oh, this isn't ready. It shouldn't be that far back. I'm going to gag to protect my airway. Also, babies will typically gag when offering new textures of foods, and that is completely normal as well. If you're offering something brand new and your baby is gagging, that's just them trying to get used to the feeling that is a brand new feeling in their mouth. They have never felt something like that before. If you're offering it a few times and they're gagging, that is okay, but if you are noticing that your child is gagging consistently on almost everything they're eating or they're gagging consistently with a certain texture or type of food, then that could be one of those flags that we would see what we would recommend going for a feeding evaluation. But gagging every once in a while or gagging on something that is brand new is part of the learning process. I feel like I've heard a lot of families say that, oh, my child doesn't like this. They gagged on mm -hmm. it when we gave it to them for the first time. And I do try to remind families that it's brand new. They've mm -hmm. never had that experience before. I know with Crew, he still 
every food that we offer. He doesn't gag, but he makes this Make face, a face where yep. he looks mm-hmm. personally offended that uh-huh. you have offered him something new. And then he loves it. <laughs> yes. So, so we, we see the, the facial grimace, the facial expression, the gagging. That is all typical with starting something brand new. All right. Every parent's worst nightmare, introducing the allergens. <laughs> so we really recommend early introduction to the allergens. Again, around that six-month mark when you're starting solids is safe, and it may even help lower the risk of of your child developing those food allergies. So some of our common allergens, cow's milk, eggs, fish, including finned fish and shellfish, all nuts, tree nuts, peanuts, um, sesame, soy, and wheat. So tips for introducing some allergens. We're gonna start small. Start with about like an eighth of a teaspoon. You can mix into other foods. Really think of like the size of your pinky nail, small, small, small. Mix it into other foods. Gradually work up to larger <coughs> amounts if the child is not showing any reaction. And I always like to recommend to introduce allergens earlier in the day. So typically around that breakfast time because reactions usually occur within minutes, but it can take up to two hours or a few hours after ingestion of the food. So introducing it earlier in the day really just gives you more time to observe and really see um, Try and schedule around like nap time or bedtime. Introduce it when the child is awake and when they're going to be awake for a couple hours of duration. That way you can really observe observe them. Uh, introduce when at least one adult is available to observe where you can have pretty much all hands and all eyes on deck after you introduce one of those allergens just in case. Always introduce one at a time. That way, if the baby has a reaction to something, you know which one it was. If you introduce peanuts and eggs on the same day, and then the child has a reaction a few hours later, now you're not sure which one it was. So offer one at a time. Offer that one allergen consistently a few times during that week. If the child is not showing a reaction after a few times, because sometimes a child won't show a reaction after the first time they are exposed to an allergen, it may take a couple couple tries. So offer an allergen a few times. If there's no reaction, then you can move on to the next one. Also, once you have ruled out an allergen for your baby, we wanna really promote that regular exposure. Offer the allergen as much as you can. Try and offer some of those common common allergens two to three times per week within your regular rotation of food, just so that baby is still getting um, getting. A, <laughs> hi, bud. Just so that your baby gets that continued exposure to those allergens. Any questions or comments about this? Yeah, I know the previous recommendation was that when you started a new food, you should wait three days before introducing a additional new food. Do you know why that has changed? Likely because we really want to provide baby with a variety of tastes and textures. And if the food is not a common allergen and the baby is eating it perfectly fine and you're not seeing any reactions or anything like that, they are typically ready to move on to another food. We want to offer a variety, different tastes, textures, shapes, colors. And if your child is not showing a reaction and it's not a common allergen, you can offer additional foods. Cool. All right. 
All right, so now what happens if you're doing all of these things? You're offering solids, you're trying to work on baby lead weaning, you're giving them foods, but your child is just having difficulty. They're not chewing, they don't seem to really know what to do with food, they may not be bringing it to their mouth. Once the food is in their mouth, they may not be chewing and swallowing, everything may just be coming out, and your child just may be seem confused when offering foods. So when I have kiddos like this, I really like to recommend using a food teether for, for a baby. So here are some pictures of examples of food, food teethers. Pineapple core, a spare rib bone, corn on the cob, a chicken bone, a mango pit. So there are a lot of pros for these food teethers. So a food teether is like a long, hard stick of food that does not easily break apart. The point is to not consume these foods. We want to offer them to help the baby learn those oral motor skills, textures, um, tongue lateralization, taste. We're gonna go through all of the different oral motor aspects that food teethers really help promote. But again, the point of offering these food teethers is not to consume. We want to make sure they are large enough and hard enough that the baby cannot get little pieces off of it. So the benefits of these resistive um, food teethers are endless. So it triggers tongue movements that are needed to learn how to chew, really helps a baby form a mental map of the mouth, meaning that like if we think about if we're eating scrambled eggs and there's a piece of a shell on it, you can very easily figure out where that shell is in your mouth. You can pull that shell out of your mouth without even looking your mouth is able to map exactly where every single thing is in your mouth without even having to think about it. It is pretty amazing. So we really wanna help baby form a mental map of their mouth, so offering teethers like this helps them. Um, it teaches them how to chew challenging foods in a low-risk way. It's really gonna help increase their jaw muscles, build tone. They're gonna to be chewing and gnawing on these food teethers, and they're strong enough where pieces are not going to be coming off, so they're gonna be able to use these for a long period of time. It decreases their oversensitive gag reflex if your child is gagging on a lot of different things because again, these are not meant to be swallowed or for pieces to be coming off. The baby can really learn to move things around their mouth, helps them with that gag reflex and all, the, all, all of those oral motor skills. Can't be stuffed into, into their mouth all at once. And again, the shape of them, it's easy for your baby to pick up and eat independently. So we really like to offer these food teethers when, again, your baby is ready to start solids around that six-month mark. You can serve these resistive food teethers to baby. We really recommend serving them at, at the table, at the high chair. Uh, you can serve them with other foods as well. The best way to learn is in the context of the situation. So if you're going to offer a food teether, it's really great to offer it at the table so that the baby is learning those skills for eating where they're going to be eating. And so again, if you can offer it at the table and then you can offer food with these resistive sticks of food. So if you wanna offer the mango pit, but your child is having difficulty actually consuming the fruit, you can offer puree of mango with the mango pit. So now the baby is eating, also working on chewing and those oral motor skills. Say you offer 
a green bean with hummus. Your baby's not going to be chewing and swallowing the green bean, but they're going to be working on those skills. And they may even dip the bean into the hummus. Now they're getting tastes of different foods, different textures. So this really helps with those kiddos that ha are having a really hard time transitioning from those purees to more of the solids. Any questions with resistive teethers? No, I know that you did mention about doing it in the context where mm -hmm. they should be performing that skill. And I mm -hmm. think that that's super important in general for mm -hmm. kids is that they should be sitting at the table when they're eating. I know that yes. um, especially, and maybe we'll talk about this later, but especially mm -hmm. as kids get older and they're yes. a little bit more picky, mm -hmm. I find that parents start to let them run around and then come back and eat. Mm -hmm. And I think that that can contribute to mm -hmm. a lot of challenges with their behavior as well as um can be a choking mm -hmm. risk yes and so we will delve into that <laughs> a little bit when we get into more of that that uh toddler phase so yeah so just again that baby led weaning and offering these resistive teethers are really great for that oral sensory awareness just really figuring out where things are in your mouth we're really working on tongue coordination, being able to move your tongue side to side, being able to elevate your tongue, working on jaw strength, jaw stability. So these are all feeding skills that your baby is going to need once they eventually graduate and start working on chewy foods, crunchy foods. This will really help your child be able to consume those foods safely. All right, now we're going to be switching gears a little bit because we're going to start talking about recommendations for things to have in your kitchen. Different types of high chair recommendations, utensil recommendations, cup recommendations. So before we move on to this next aspect, do we have any questions about transitioning to solids and how to transition to solids? Or do we feel we have a good base? I think we're good. All right, high chairs. There are millions of high chairs out there. It can be very confusing when you are trying to figure out what high chair to get because of course you want a high chair that number one matches your kitchen and looks very nice, but also one that is not super expensive. High chairs range vastly at price points, but there are some high chairs that are better than others for multiple reasons. So we'll talk about what to look for in a good high chair. And again, you can find multiple high chairs that hit all the good points at different price ranges and at different looks. All right, so positioning is so, so, so important when it comes to eating solids. We really want a child to be able to be sitting up. So again, before we even are transitioning to solids, we're making sure that our child can sit pretty much unsupported but our high chair should also be supporting our child. When we think of our baby sitting in a high chair, we want them to be sitting 90, 90, 90. So at that point, we want a 90 degree angle at the hips. So we want our child to be sitting up straight and their hips and their legs to be coming from their hips. We want that at a 90 degree angle. We want a 90 degree angle at their knees. So we want 90 where their knees are and also at their ankles. So that means we want our children to be seated with a foot plate, something underneath them. So a lot of parents are always just like, I don't understand like why a foot plate is so important, but I always like to give just this scenario of how uncomfortable it is to sit at like a bar stool that doesn't have anywhere to put your feet. Just think about how distracting that is. I hate sitting in chairs like that where your legs are just dangling. 
the you can't even focus on the meal the focus becomes on where do I put my feet this is so uncomfortable and think about bar stools that don't have a supportive back how frustrating it is to be sitting and eating a meal when you don't have support on your feet and support on your back we don't want the focus of meal time to end up becoming on how uncomfortable the child is if we have a really good high chair where the child is feeling supported they will be able to focus all of their attention on the food that's being offered to them and they are more likely to sit for a longer period of time if their feet are dangling if they're leaning over if they're not sitting up straight if they don't have good posture they're not going to want to sit you're going to see them really tire out of being uncomfortable after a few minutes all right so we want a high chair that promotes this 90-90-90 posture. So let's look at some of our favorite high chairs. So here we go. Here's one where the child is sitting. Their support on their back. Their knees are at a 90 degree angle and their foot is on a foot plate. Um, you could also see that the tray is not up too high. We want the tray to be able to be really under the child's elbows, that way they have full range to move and to pick things up. If the tray is up too high and they can't move their arms around, they're not gonna be able to reach to get everything that's on their tray. They're gonna be restricted. They're not gonna be able to bring food to their mouth as easily. So we really wanna look for high chairs that are adjustable in every way, shape, and form to grow with your child. I really like to recommend um, high chairs such as the AB Beyond or the Stoke Trip Drop because these ones really you can move the foot plate, the seat, and the tray. So you can move the seat up and down, which is great if to really figure out exactly where the seat needs to be so that my child is able to have free range of their arms. And also the foot plate is adjustable. Kids are growing constantly. So we really want to make sure that we can move that foot plate up and down based on the length of their leg. Um, we really want kids to be able to have their foot touching the foot base, but not too high. We really want that 90 at their knees, 90 at their feet. Again, with this high chair here. This one did not have a foot plate. Instead of going out and having to buy a foot plate, these parents were very resourceful. They used a stool, looks like a, a kitchen chair that they put right underneath the high chair and the baby's able to rest their, their feet on it. I've seen people use resistive bands, like workout bands around the legs of the high chair where the baby can rest their foot. You can bring over a stool, you can bring over a chair. Um, even in here, somebody built, used another high chair tray, cut holes in it, and slipped it right on so that baby had somewhere to put their feet. So if you already have a high chair that doesn't have a foot plate, you don't have to necessarily go out and buy a whole new high chair. How can we modify this high chair to make it better for my child? If you notice that your chair, that your um, chair isn't adjustable, the actual seat can't move it up and down, well, why don't we put something underneath the child? Put a phone book under there. Something that can really help them sit up more straight with more range for their arms. If your child's seat isn't adjustable where they're leaning back, you can put a towel behind them to make sure that they're sitting up straight. If your child's leaning to the side, one side or another, you can put towels there. I've used pool floats 
cut them and put them on the side of the child. That way they're really sitting up straight at that 90, 90, 90. You can modify, you can use tools to make sure that they're sitting up straight. We don't want some high chairs for some reason lean back. I don't know why they are created that way. (laughs) It should not be like that. If you have a high chair where you feel that your baby is facing backwards, number one, now your child's working against gravity. We don't want that. We want them to really be sitting forward and to be able to move their body forward to lean towards cups, to lean towards utensils, to be able to lean forward and pick things up. Um, So again, high chairs can be modified if yours is not very adjustable, but if you are looking for a high chair, we really recommend one that is adjustable in all ways. Foot plate, seat, as well as tray. Any questions about high chairs? Oh, one last thing. So I like to recommend getting a high chair that the tray is removable and that the seat itself is a good shape and size and height to just be pushed directly to the table. So that honestly just gets rid of the need for even a booster seat. If you're able to take the tray off your high chair, push it to the table, now your child is part of the mealtime at dinner with the family as they start to get a little bit older into toddlerhood. You don't even need to put that booster seat on a dining chair at this point. They can stay in their high chair, remove the tray, and just push it straight to the table. What about toddler towers? We used one with my daughter and then she ended up like standing in her tower to eat for some meals. If your child is looking to stand during a meal and is having a really hard time sitting for a meal, you can use those. They're safe. The child is still at the table. Some kids, again, once they hit that toddlerhood, sitting is very, very hard for them. As long as they are standing and not moving around while they are eating, that is okay. We do want to avoid the child taking a bite and walking away from the table, walking around doing something else just because that is a safety hazard for them to be walking around with food in their mouth. But if your child is standing at the table and is eating safely and they're not removing themselves or walking around or anything like that, if your child needs to stand to for that meal sometimes a toddler just needs to stand if they don't want to sit (laughs) we had the same experience Mm -hmm. with the toddler tower Mm -hmm. and it definitely helped us to be able to work through a little bit more of that when he was resistant to eating certain things Mm -hmm. or didn't really want to sit for a meal i think we were able to get him to be Mm -hmm. a little bit more compliant Mm -hmm. that way (laughs) yes and toddlers bodies are learning moving growing all the time it is not uncommon your child to start one refusing the high chair feeling like they're strapped in or confined things like that if your child is able to safely stand for the meal that is definitely something to consider and to try so this resource here is from feeding littles another this favorite. is another <laughs> really really amazing instagram page blog post so again they have a lot of free resources out there this is one of them their favorite high chairs and their favorite booster seats um they also again like solid starts do have courses if you feel like you need a little bit more assistance but they are a great resource to change it all right let's talk cups When should your child really start using cups other than the bottle? So again, we really recommend to introduce different types of cups around the six month age when your baby is starting solid foods. So your baby's showing cup readiness if they're sitting up in their high chair, they're leaning forward to bring their mouth towards foods, towards cups, and small amounts of water can be introduced at six months. If you feel more comfortable offering breast milk or formula in the cup you can start there but babies are safe to have small amounts of water starting at that six month mark Uh, water is refreshing water 
rinses out their mouth. It's really good for oral hygiene. So we can introduce water around six months. Again, not large amounts, small, small tastes, really for practice of the cups. So first types of cups, it might seem a little bit strange, but we really recommend first introducing open cups and then introducing straw cups. So here we have, again, from Feeding Littles, different stages of cups. So the first stage is that open cup, really introducing at that six month age, and you continue using open cups through toddlerhood, childhood, adulthood. So really we can introduce open cups as early as that six month mark and continue using them all throughout life. Mm -hmm. Step two is straw cups. Handle, no handle, really no preference if your child likes the handles, they like the handles, if they don't, they don't. Sometimes with really young ones, it might be easier for them to wrap their hands around something without a handle. And then as they get a little older and their grasp skills become a little bit more intact, they may go for the handles. Again, straw, straw cups, you can introduce at that six month and beyond age, but we really want to look for good skills with the open cup before we move on to the straw cup. Just because with straws, water is propelling much faster than with sort of guided open cup usage. So we really want the child to have good mental map of where that water's going in their mouth, when it's appropriate to swallow, and really good handle on liquids before we introduce those straws. And into toddlerhood, any heavier cup, water bottle with straws, we'll get into the sippy cup controversy in a little bit. <laughs> um, really quick, I yes. do love the honey bear straw cup mm -hmm. for teaching straw skills initially. I actually, I have one with me. So one, on our next page, we're going to go through different types of cups, different types of straw cups, and I have some examples of things that I use in my feeding therapy sessions. All right, for teaching open cups. First, we want to model drinking water from an open cup. We are always the best model for our kids. And then we want to guide them with hand over hand. So I'm gonna pull out some of the open cups that I like to use. So here are just two ones. This, this one is a nosy cup. And this one is an easy peasy cup. And so we really want to guide them with hand over hand. So you're going to fill it up again, just a teeny tiny amount, just for some taste. Guide them with hand over hand. Bring the cup to your child's mouth. Hold it there for a couple seconds and then take away and put down. I like to bring to the child's mouth, tilt it just so that they're getting some taste. One, two, take away and put down. Really just a couple of seconds while baby is getting used to it. They may not even close their lips around it. Their lips may be fully closed. They may not take any taste, anything. So keep really just working on the open cup with them. Eventually with practice and practice, they will learn to shape and round their lips around the lip of the cup and they will learn to let the water in and swallow. So keep looking out for that lip closure and small sips. Again, if they swallow nothing when you first offer those open cup, that's okay. Keep trying and keep working on it. Once they do actually get that small amount of liquid into their mouth and they swallow, like say, ah, so that the child knows that they had the water and they swallowed it. And so now this really becomes sort of a fun game now. Every time they sip, they'll say, ah. But also when they hear that sound, they know that that swallow reflex was triggered. And so that really promotes them being able to drink, look out for that swallow, and consume the liquid safely. 
So pros of the open cup children can learn the skill of open cup very early. Again, this is not to be used as a replacement for the bottle or the breast. We're really focusing on just giving very small sips for practice. You can give small sips of the breast milk or the formula, small sips of water, but this is not replacing at this point any of their, any of their feeds. Also with introducing solids, solids under one, they're not only just for fun. A lot of people like to say <laughs> solids under one is just for fun. It's not all fun. They're learning a lot of different skills. So we want to offer those things to children under one. But if I didn't make this clear before, I really want to make it clear now that food that's being offered before 12 months is not meant to um, take away from the bottle feeding. Yes, we're weaning off of it at that 12-month age, but we still want to be offering them their formula and their breast milk. And same thing with open cups. This is a learning experience. This is not to replace their bottle or the breast. So again, with cups, this is promoting that really good oral motor development. You're teaching your baby to close their lips. They're learning to swallow using a more mature swallow pattern, which is gonna get them ready for that straw drinking. Um, so now after your baby has established really good skills with the open cup, we can move on to straw cup. So for straws, the straw should be about an inch in length. Length of your thumbnail should be, that was, is what should be really entering your baby's mouth to promote good lip closure and good tongue elevation after the liquid is already in their mouth. We don't want to have a straw that's going all the way into the back because now that restricts movement of their tongue if that straw is just kind of hanging out on top of their tongue. Um, tongue elevation is a skill needed not only for feeding but also for speech. So a lot of these skills go hand in hand. So we're really working on promoting good feeding skills and good speech skills by teaching all of these things at a young age. Uh, so now again, same thing with open cup. With the easy peasy, it comes with a top and a straw. So this is a really good one for teaching. It's not really so great after the child <laughs> is independent with their cup drinking. If the, your child is carrying this all around the house, you're gonna have water all over your house. Very easy to open, but this is a great one for teaching because it's small, easy for them to put their hands around, and it's very easy to be cleaned if you're offering during mealtime and they're getting food all over it. I got to my easy peasy. didn't come with a lid. I know, mine didn't either. You have to look for the one that is the one. mix of the I cup and the straw. That's mm -hmm. cool. And so I really like to use this as one of my first uh, straws that I introduced, guide the straw to the baby's lips. They may get it to their lips and then they may not have absolutely no idea what to do and they may not take a sip at all. So I like to then try the pipette straw method. Um, what we also used to do as kids, which is a lot of fun. Dip the straw into the water, put your finger on one end. Now you have suctioned some of the water in there, bring it to the child's mouth. Once the straw is in there, release small amounts of water. Do that a few times. Eventually, you'll start hearing sucking from here. You should hear the audible suck from the straw. Once your child is doing that, then let's try again with the straw. If they're having a very hard time doing that and they're not grasping that concept, that's when I recommend the honey bear. So I have a honey bear with me today. So with our honey bear, honey bear has A straw some come with handles some don't again preference on if your child uses the handle or doesn't use the handle but these are great because you can squeeze the honey bear and the liquid will come out the child doesn't actually have to suck so if your child is having a really hard time figuring out how to suck from a straw and actually get that liquid out this is another great 
method to use, again, about length of your thumbnail is out of the cup, put it between baby's lips, not pushing all the way back, and just squeeze a little bit of the liquid so that they're getting that feedback of the liquid coming through the straw. So this um, is a really great way. So eventually your child's gonna learn to initiate that suck and swallow. Again, use that ah after you see your baby swallow some water, really get that, um, that motor plan going for them to recognize that they swallowed. And we can use these really greatly to initiate that suck and the swallow. You use these for? Yes. So I used initially the open cup for mm -hmm. Luca and did try the straw cup with the pipette method. Mm -hmm. um, he was doing pretty well with those mm -hmm. things. And I think somebody else just had recommended trying the honey bear cup. And he did really, mm -hmm. really well with that. And then we switched back to the straw mm -hmm. cup. So some, some people need that... Um Honey bear, some, some kids pick up on that straw right away and they don't need it. All right. So again, I just have some different cup recommendations here listed, easy peasy, take and toss, munchkin, any angle, weighted, weighted straw, anything that has an actual straw. Why do we avoid sippy cups? This is the biggest controversy these days. We avoid hard spout sippy cups because they delay the oral motor and feeding skill. They really mimic that oral motor pattern of the bottle where they're sort of dumping it into their mouth and suckling and sucking. Open cups and straw cups really promote that oral motor development. More tongue movement, uh, which we need for those speech and feeding skills. Any questions about cups? I was just gonna say in regard to the cup recommendations mm -hmm. for parents, you're going to try a million different ones before mm -hmm. you find one that works for your kids. What works for one of your children may not work for another child. But my biggest recommendation when you get these straw cups, especially some of the weighted straw cups, I know we love the Dr. Brown's one, but try it out yourself first mm -hmm. and see how hard it is to suck the liquid out of that cup because some of them I was having a really mm -hmm. hard time with and then I could understand why my child was getting yes. so frustrated mm -hmm. when we were switching to that cup and they couldn't get anything out. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's a great recommendation. Also with things like when your toddler's getting bigger and they're using something like a hydro flask that has those big plastic straws, yes. those are still straws. Those are totally okay. We're really okay. just talking about those hard spout sippy cups where your child is picking it up and, and sort of doing that dumping motion. But a um, anything that is a straw, even if it is a hard, thicker straw, that is totally fine. How about the 360 cups? What are your take on those? Those, again, are a big controversy these days. A lot of parents like them because they're super spill and leak-proof. But the recent research is showing that just like those hard spout sippy cups, it's really not promoting that mature oral motor development pattern. If your child is stuck on the Miracle 360 cup, recommend taking the top off and trying to use it as sort of an open cup to transition them to other things. Um, but yeah, the Miracle 360 cup is not recommended. And so when we offer open cups, just real quickly, want to make sure it has a flat lip, no ridges or anything like that to really make it easy for the child to put it in their mouth and get their small lips around it. All right, so I have, if you're going the more traditional route with spoon feeding, um, I have just steps for the spoon technique because we don't want to put a spoon into the baby's mouth and dump. Uh, we really want to work on 
lip closure and that tongue development being able to cup their tongue around underneath the spoon bring that top lip down to strip the food off of the spoon so if you're noticing that you're having to constantly dump the food into the child's mouth this is a spoon technique to really work on getting some more of those skills when you're taking the spoon you want to put the spoon straight into the baby's mouth you can push down just a little bit on the tongue just to promote them to cup the spoon with the bottom of their tongue hold it straight that's going to promote that lip top lip to come down and then you want to pull it straight out so no dumping no scraping on teeth no scraping on top lip if that is what is happening and you're putting the spoon straight in and your child's lips aren't coming down it's just going to take some practice because they were they're not used to using those movements so if you're going to go spoon feeding route that is my recommendation for the spoons some utensil recommendations you can offer loaded utensils to your baby when you're introducing solids at around this six month mark um, you can work on utensil usage simultaneously as baby's using their hand to self-feed. So again, if you're going this baby-led weaning route, you can still be using utensils. Um, most toddlers don't really pierce foods with the fork and scoop foods with spoon until closer to that 16, 18 months if they're having that consistent practice. So we like to start offering loaded utensils right away around that six-month mark to promote the practice and the motor skill, and then soon they'll eventually be trying it on their own. So the teach utensils, again, around that six month, six to 12 month mark, we're gonna load spoons and forks and hand it to them. Like to hand it to them so that they are seeing the food, making a mental map of where it is, reaching out for it, and then bringing to their mouth. Model using utensils simultaneously with them. Again, you are their best model, you're the best teacher. If they're seeing how you're using utensils, they will pick it up so much more quickly. So let your baby self-feed with hands and touch foods. This is still the most important part of the food. Food is really a sensory experience. We want kids to be touching their foods and bringing to their mouth using their hands as well as with utensils. Around that 12 to 18 month mark, it's still okay if your child is preferring to feed with their hands. If your child is taking the food right off the fork or right off the spoon and putting it into their mouth, that is okay too. They're still learning at this point. Continue offering those preloaded utensils. A lot of the times now we get into this sort of more toddlerhood where they don't want to let those utensils go. So a really great recommendation that I learned from Feeding Littles is three spoons. I just learned that. <laughs> so it offer a loaded utensil. Your child's not giving that utensil back. Bring out another one. Offer them another loaded utensil. Well, now they have two in their hands. How are you supposed to get one back to put more food on it? Offer a third. Baby doesn't have three hands, they're gonna have to put one down to grab that other one. Now you have a free utensil, now you can load that one up and, and keep going. Now it's, you got a rotation going with three utensils. That's a really helpful trick. Once your child is above that 18 month mark, you can get them used to using other utensils uh, like tongs, servers, spatulas, by serving foods to family members using different types of utensils. And if you're having a toddler that's having some difficulty with restricted and picky eating, sometimes incorporating a novelty utensil, like a little silicone toothpick that you can put in their foods, little tiny tongs and little grabbers. Sometimes if your kid has a new utensil, that may be all it takes for them to want to interact and try something new. All right, some recommendations of utensils. We're gonna look for things that have these short and wide handles, just like all of these do. Very easy for your child to be able to pick them up and hold them in their hands. We want them to be small and simple, but still mimic real adult utensils. We wanna make sure that the bowl of the spoon is deep enough that it's able to hold 
food, but we don't want a spoon that has such a deep bowl that your child can't get their lips around it and strip the food off. That's especially we see people dumping and scraping when you're using a spoon that is too deep that the child cannot actually get their lips to close fully around it to strip that food off. You can also use flat spoons like these num nums that have the grips on them. That way it is flat and the food's not gonna fall off. If food is constantly falling off, your child's just going to be frustrated. We wanna make sure that the tines on the fork are rounded, not sharp. And we wanna make sure that they're still strong enough to pierce and hold foods. Again, we don't want foods just constantly falling off utensils. We're gonna have very, very frustrated babies trying to eat. So again, selecting utensils short and wide handles. This one right here is the Num Num Pre-Spoon. These are great. These are usually the first utensils that I offer to a child. They're very soft. There's bumps on them, so it's also really good for providing input, sensory experience. These ones here are the Nook, and then we have the Munchless, the Munchkin um, Stainless Steel. So this, this right here has this plastic going around here. It's called like a, a gag block. Um, really just so that the child can't put the utensil all the way in their mouth to gag on it. There's some different takes on it. Um, your child should learn how to put things in their mouth and know what is too far back for the gag reflex. I do think kids also learn that just with self-feeding, putting hands in their mouth and things like that. Some people tend to steer away from these utensils because they want their child to learn where their gag reflex is. So that's just something to keep in mind if you see a utensil that has something like this. So this one has it, the rest of them don't. All right, and then I just have some recommendations in here for portion sizing. So this is just for your own information. Um, again, for liquids before that 12 month mark, really just for practice, not replacing breast or formula feeds. And then I also have some solid because I have a lot of people that come in that are concerned that their child is not eating enough. But then we have to remember that they have very little tiny bodies. Their stomachs are much smaller than our stomachs are. They might be eating a small amount, but it could be just enough that it is definitely filling them up and that they are getting the recommended amount for their age. So here's just for your information, just some portion sizes. All right, now switching gears to the fun part, the picky eating. All right, so as we delve into toddlerhood, picky eating is common. I know we were talking about it today that it's pretty, pretty typical for kids to experience some picky eating habits. But we really want to pick out here, is my child a picky eater or is this a true problem that I need some extra help? So signs of a picky eater um, versus a problem feeder where I'd recommend coming in for an evaluation a picky eater typically has like a decreased range of variety of food, but has sort of like 30 or more foods in their food range, in their food repertoire. A problem eater is usually eating less than 20, probably maybe 10 or less foods. And that is a concern to me that I would recommend coming in for a feeding evaluation for restricted eating. If your child is at that less than 20 foods, maybe 10 foods and under, and they are just, and even if they are consistently losing foods, then that is another concern to me. Kids will often burn out with, we call this food jagging, will often burn out if they're just being offered the same foods all the time. They may end up like not eating it for a few weeks and then they may go back to it. That's 
typical. That's why we really like to offer a range and a variety of foods. Um, but what is not typical is if you're losing foods and then those foods are never eaten again. And then picky eating, usually the kids will eat at least one food from each food group. They'll eat a meltable food, they'll eat a fruit, they'll eat a, a vegetable. We really see difficulties come in if your child is refusing entire categories or entire textures of groups. They won't eat anything that is crunchy. They won't eat anything that is soft and mushy. They won't eat any meat, any vegetables anything like that so if your child is if you see that your child is refusing a class of foods then that is also a red flag to come in for a feeding evaluation um, problem feeders typically have a very very hard time tolerating new food on their plate more than just a regular out of the blue tantrum this is if your child is crying screaming tantruming falling apart every single time a new food is presented complete refusal child cannot handle it we know with toddlers, tantrums happen, but if this is happening every single time it's mealtime and every single time something new is offered, then that is a red flag to come in for a feeding evaluation. And if you are always having to cook your child something different, they're really not being able to tolerate any foods that the family is eating, that is also, again, something that is of a concern to go see a feeding specialist. All right, so we can work on preventing picky eating habits when we start introducing those solids. So this is again another recommendation or free resource from Solid Starts. So 10 things we can do right when we're introducing solid foods to try and prevent those picky eating habits. So first we wanna foster the independent eating. Um, so again, either going by baby lead weaning or if you're using spoon feeding, really trying to introduce those finger foods by nine months. We want our child to, child to feel independent while they're eating. Two, let them get messy. Resist the urge to wipe their hands throughout the meal, wipe their face throughout the meal. Let them get messy while they're self-feeding. Um, children who are cleaned and not allowed to touch food may grow up thinking it's dirty or have a reaction to touching food because they think if something's on their hand, it needs to be wiped. They don't want things touching their skin. They don't want things on their face or on their clothes. Um, so I know it's difficult, but we really want to let our kids get messy at the table. It is part of the sensory experience. We want to set an eating schedule and stick to it. I uh, really like to offer meals and snacks throughout the day try and get onto a routine breakfast snack lunch small snack dinner maybe they need a small snack again before dinner but getting your eating schedule and sticking to it we really really want to avoid children snacking and grazing throughout the day if your children is grabbing a couple goldfish couple cookies here and there throughout the day their stomachs are small grazing for a child will just keep them satisfied throughout the day they're not going to feel that hunger we really want to promote those hunger cues to be able to get them to want to explore and try different foods once it actually is meal time so i really like to work on setting a routine setting a schedule stick to it really reduce that grazing throughout the day give them choices empower them with choices offer small portions of different foods um, offer the foods presented to the foods if your child only wants to eat one of those foods that is their choice um, consider offering a really preferred food maybe as a snack throughout the day that way it's not stealing the show at dinner time and that's the only thing that they want 
check your emotions at the table. If your child is refusing to eat, don't react in a certain way. We're not going to pressure them. And we also don't want to provide praise for eating. We really want to keep our language and our tone neutral during a meal. If a meal is refused, offer a few more minutes or so, move on with your day. We need to be okay if the child chooses to not eat during a meal. They honestly may not be hungry. If your child is hungry, they will very, very likely let you know. So we really just want to promote um, independence and choice when it comes to food. We really want our kids to have a really good relationship with eating and with food. Continue to introduce new foods each week. We don't want to fall in a rut of the same foods. Keep introducing foods, varying textures, different colors, different shapes, different sizes. Um, I always like to recommend kids that they're getting stuck on certain shapes. Why don't we introduce Play-Doh cutters at the table? Work on having your child manipulate foods into different shapes, really just getting them used to, used to and tolerating a variety of shapes, colors, textures, smells. If you're making pancakes, make rainbow pancakes one day, put some color in it, really just get them used to that things are not the same all the time. That will really help them tolerate when things um, are, foods are manipulated and changed. Eat with your child. We've talked about this so many times today. You're, you are their best model. And sometimes your kids just honestly want to eat what you are eating. Um, and also if your child associates mealtime being away from you, it may affect how much they eat and how long they're willing to stay in their chair. So we really want to eat together at the table. Make it fun, but keep it about food. Babies don't need distraction to want to eat. So we really want to reduce the distractions at the table. Kids who require iPads or distractions at the table, it's usually because they're accustomed to it. So we really wanna try and reduce that from a very, very young age. When your child is at the table and it is mealtime, their focus should really be on their food, not only for safety, for them to be able to really focus on what they're doing. You don't want your child looking away or looking at a screen and now you're dumping foods in their mouth and they don't even, they're not even paying attention. They don't know what we're doing. So try and cut those habits very young or try really to not introduce it. If your child is having a really hard time focusing at the table, I typically recommend bringing um, a toy such as like a plastic toy animal or something that you can feed the food to the toy animal so now the focus is still on the food rather than the actual distraction itself again quit quit those crutches cold turkey if you're using phone or ipad you gotta stop <laughs> and last be indifferent again be neutral if you're feeling upset because your child is refusing to eat don't let it show Refrain from showing that you're upset, shying, showing any displeasure. We don't want to discipline kids for not eating. We want to, our kids to know that they are in control of what they eat and that they are still learning. We don't want them to feel pressure or have a negative relationship when it comes to food. All right, any questions about these tips? All right. All right, so our toddler mealtime routine. Again, we want to set a routine. This will help them become a more active member in mealtime and set those clear expectations. They're more likely to participate and have a positive attitude when they know what to expect. We want everybody to participate in this mealtime routine. Parents, caregivers, siblings should all follow the same schedule. So just a typical um, staging of the meal. I like to give a verbal auditory warning. Recommend that before a meal. Shout five-minute warning. Allow a child to ring a dinner bell. That's a job that kids typically really love to have, ringing that dinner bell. 
Everybody's gonna wash their hands. We're gonna use movement to get to the table. You can sing a song while you're doing it. We're gonna march, march, march to our chairs. The table is already set. When the child is at the table, we should really start bringing the foods out rather than expecting them to sit there while we get everything prepped and ready. Bring the foods out, serve family style. This is a huge recommendation that I like to give families that are having hard times with restricted and picky eating and they feel like they're cooking a million different things. Serve food family styles. Have at least one food in the mix that you know is accepted by your child. Offer a variety, a starch, a protein, a fruit, a veggie. If your child's not eating the foods, we can still promote their interactions with the food. You can have them pass around the bowls to the table. They can serve that food onto somebody else's plate. We wanna offer all those foods um, you can serve it on their plate, but again, if the child is only eating that one preferred food, there are still other ways that the child can interact with the other foods, and we don't want to provide any um, negative feedback if your child is just choosing to eat their one food that is accepted. If they're asking for something else, explain that it's not on the menu in a neutral tone, redirect to what is available, and then you can ask them a question about their day, about something else. Say like, ooh, can you find something green on the table? Really just try and, in a neutral tone, just let them know if they're looking for something else, that that is not on the menu. Uh, for desserts, uh, I don't like to give recommendation of, oh, you have to finish this and then you can get dessert. Now we have a power struggle, things aren't going well. So a recommendation uh, that I like to give is to actually offer dessert with the meal kind of gets rid of like this gold star that's going to come after the meal like I have to do all of these things to get my dessert kind of takes the pressure off it the dessert is there when they feel like eating it throughout the meal they can eat it throughout the meal if you don't want to present it during dinner dessert can still be available to them even if they do not eat much during the meal we don't want our kids to think that they have to clear their plate and now we have anxiety and pressure coming in at the dinner table that i need to do this to get something else at the end of the meal everybody should participate in that cleanup routine kids love to have jobs makes them feel like they're more part of the uh, routine bring their plate to the garbage or to the scrap bowl. They can scrape their foods into the trash can or into the scrap bowl, put plate and utensils in the sink. Everybody washes their hands, meal time is done. So some tips and tricks. I always like to remind parents about the division of responsibility. You control what's served, where it's served, and when it's served, children control what they eat. We want to have a around 30 minute time limit for meals, again, to decrease those grazing habits. If your child is done and they're removed from the table, we wanna clean that food up. We don't wanna leave it out for hours at a time where now your child is coming back to the table every once in a while, taking a bite, walking away, coming back, taking a bite, walking away, because now again, that promotes that grazing habit. We wanna get your child in a routine so that they are hungry for meal time. We want about like two to three hours between each meal. I consider snacks as part of the meal as well and we want to provide snacks at the table like we talked about before it's just to reduce now your kids walking around all day with snacks becomes a power struggle trying to get them at the table snacks and meals offer at the table everybody seated during meals as much much as possible again if your child needs to stand during the meal as long as they're standing safely and staying in one spot while they're standing if they need to stand they need to stand provide water between meals and snacks we don't want to provide really filling drinks juices things that will fill the child's stomach because then they're going to come to the table not hungry for food and they're less likely to even want to come to the table if they're not hungry 
Focus on the food and not trying to get the child to eat. Again, mealtime should be a positive experience. We really want to reduce the pressure and power struggle. Always keep that division of responsibility in your mind. What is in your control versus what is in their control? Any questions about that? I don't have a question about that, but I do, I did remember a question Mm -hmm. or a comment, I guess, about when babies start eating. Mm -hmm. I have heard so many times, especially from the older generation, that babies can't eat until they have teeth. So can can you dispel that rumor? Yes. So babies have very, um, hard gums because their teeth are coming in. So even if your baby does not have teeth, you can put your finger in there and you can feel their gums and you can feel that it is hard back there. Just because your child does not have teeth does not mean that they cannot chew. Thank you. (laughs) And then again, more just positive mealtime language. We talked about this already. Um, Not forcing your child to eat. Talk about attributes of foods. We don't want to punish for not eating, and we don't want to praise for eating. If your child is having a really, really hard time, I have the steps to eating hierarchy to, again, just because your child isn't eating the food doesn't mean they cannot interact with it. You can tolerate it on your plate. You can interact with it. You can manipulate it using utensil or um, or another food to move it around. You can smell it, touch it, lick, place it between your lips, blow it into the trash can by with your lips calling it a rocket anything like that so if your child is getting really picky fussy we can work on interacting with these foods in a way that is not requiring them to eat it and then work those way through the steps this comes from like the sos approach steps to eating the hierarchy you can look into it and if you're doing all these things and your child is having a really really hard time with foods losing foods becoming super restricted there could be something underlying going on and that's when I really recommend coming in for a feeding evaluation. Could be that there is a medical thing going on. There could be something GI going on that food is really making your child not feel good, making your child feel sick and they don't have the language to be able to tell you that yet. Your child could have lip and tongue ties that is really preventing them from being able to chew foods. It comes off as picky but your child may just really be having difficulty with foods. And again, they don't have the language to be able to tell you that they are having a really hard time doing these things. So there could be a medical component. There could be a structural component of things going on actually inside their mouth. Could be motor skills that they're not, that they have not learned how to move their tongue around. They don't have that jaw strength and stability to be able to really chew and consume foods. So if you're having a really hard time with picky eating that doesn't phase out as a part of that natural toddler, behavior there could be something underlying going on so if you're following everything that we discussed today and you're having a very hard time with foods we recommend going to see a feeding specialist and can you talk a little bit about how parents can seek out a feeding specialist if that's something that they need yes so you can take a google search number one to see feeding therapists in your area also recommend going to your pediatrician to go and get like an outpatient service for something like feeding therapy we will need a a script from a doctor so talk to your pediatrician about it see if they have referrals and recommendations that they usually make to places that will do a feeding evaluation if not you can do a google search find a provider in your area find a location in your area 
and ask your doctor to write you a script. If you go and your doctor doesn't seem to be concerned, really let your doctor know this is what's going on. I am concerned. I want to see a feeding therapist. Please provide me with a script and take it from there. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Relatable Mama podcast. We would appreciate if you would like and subscribe to our podcast for updates. For more information on how we can support you, check out our Instagram at Anchor Behavioral Consulting or visit our website, anchorbehavioralconsultingllc.com. See you next time.